Well, beloved, please remain standing, if you will, and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Our text this morning is going to be verse 41 through 46. And before I read and open that portion of God's word up to you, let's ask for his blessing and power. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do come to you in the blessed and sweet saving name of Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we come to this solemn and weighty text this morning, a text, Lord, that we ask for you to imprint upon our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we might tremble before it, that we might examine ourselves in light of it, that we might take all of the assurances and all of the steps and all of those things required of us, Lord, to not hear these words said of us. Lord, come and move in our midst savingly, powerfully. Come enlighten us. Come, O Lord, and manifest your saving glory and your mercy, but also, O Lord, strike us with that fear of your justice. And leaving this world and not having embraced the loving Savior, Lord, use this text this morning Glorify your name, build up the saints, and Lord, we pray this in Christ's name, amen. And beloved, I want to begin reading at verse 41. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, and to the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. And I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you. And then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Earlier in the week, I reached out to the elders and asked the question if I should address this portion of Jesus' teaching once more or move to another parable. And of course, after their advice, I did determine that I would address this text of Scripture one more time. Brothers and sisters, it is a 
solemn piece of teaching of the Lord's word. It is weighty. It is designed to cause all who hear it to examine themselves, to look to their own hearts and to their own ways that they might escape, if you will, that declaration, that condemnation that we find there of our Lord in verse 41, that we would not have to hear our Lord Jesus say, depart from me, accursed ones. I confess I have been that the text itself has burdened me because as I study it, as I look to my own heart, as I have to, just like you do, I cannot help but think of many of my family and friends that will hear these words. And I have been burdened with that and carried it. One of the things I have prayed as I prepare to preach this text is that I, my body language and my voice and the tone of my voice and the things that I would say would not distract from what Jesus is impressing upon us. It would not take away the solemnity, the, the, the reality of that day upon those who are assembled on our Lord's left hand but that I would only explain the text, that I would only lay the text out before you and may the Holy Spirit do his will. The text itself teaches us three vital truths that we've looked at along the way. I'll just mention them here as we move into the latter portion of it. First of all, we do learn that there is an appointed day wherein men will be judged, that the nations of the earth will be gathered before our Lord, the King of the nations, and they will give an account of all their words and their deeds and their actions. It will be a manifestation of that day of two great glorious truths of our Savior. First of all, it'll be a revelation of his glory and the power of salvation. He will come on that day and we will be reminded of our Lord's grace and compassion and love. It'll be a revelation a massive, glorious, powerful revelation of our God's desire to save sinners. But it'll also be a glorious manifestation of not only the grace and mercy of God, but his justice, his justice. There is nothing in the text at all that leads us to believe that God is somehow unfair, not equitable, but that he is truly just and that he is only rewarding and giving and meeting out these rewards and punishments that are due, that are proper, that are fitting. 
those on his right, those that the text tells us are his sheep, they rest upon his grace, his eternal grace, his sovereign grace, his mighty grace, his saving grace. They do not come bearing in their hands their own labors and their own works because they are insufficient. They are not proper. They are not fitting in order for them to be to receive that heavenly reward. And these are the ones that have heard the call of the Savior throughout their lives. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And they came. And they hear even in their declaration, come, come and receive your reward. That reward that rests upon that grace that started before the foundation of the world. And these on his left, the ones that we're going to focus on this morning, well, these are the ones that come in their own strength, in their own power, in their own works, in their own words. These are the ones that said, I can do this. These are the ones that said, I have done enough. The good outweighs the bad. I'm okay. This should be sufficient. They've determined in their own minds, in their, in their own being, that they will stand before the Lord and they will present their case. And our Lord will respond to them in justice. You have presented your case and you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You've been found lacking. For you do not possess that righteousness and that holiness that is needed to enter into heaven and to spend eternity with me and all the other saints. The righteous will go into eternal life and the wicked will receive their just and due punishment. It is upon these grounds, beloved, that we look at this text and that we consider the gravity, the weight, the solemnity of these verses found in verse 40, or in these verses from 41 through 46. Now, what is it that gives these verses such weight? What is it about these verses that are so solemn? Well, I'm going to give you a few reasons. Please listen. The first reason that I want to lay before you is the very words themselves. In verse 41, notice, And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Unlike the invitation to the sheep, here we have an eviction. It's the contrast of the invitation to come. It's the opposite. They are not invited. They are not welcomed into this 
glorious, comfortable, joyful presence of the Lord, they are evicted from this presence. These are words of eviction. Depart from me. Oh, the weight. The solemnity, beloved. Listen to it. Feel it in your bones, if you will. This is our Lord who has spent, if you will, all those who are listening to Jesus give this teaching at this time, all they've ever heard from him is, come, come, and come to me, and I will cleanse you, I will wash you, I will make you clean, I will forgive you of your sins, and I will make you whiter than snow. And now they hear the words of eviction. They're no longer welcome. They're no longer found welcome in the presence of our Lord. Our Lord now evicts them from his presence. Notice the word, depart from me, emphatic. You are not welcome here any longer. For I extended many invitations and you did not receive any of them. I made many invitations. I made many phone calls. I made many house calls. I sent many messengers. And you would not listen. You did not want to hear that glorious welcome then. And so you won't hear it now. These are the ones, beloved, by these words, if you will, these are the ones that had spent their lives and their energy, even though they had probably made this outward profession of faith, which I am going to prove they did. Members of the church, but empty, lacking, no substance to it. You see, beloved, they spent that energy avoiding the Lord. And now they should not have the joy of his presence for eternity. It is true, I think, of the saying that goes something like this. I'll probably get it wrong, but just bear with me. Nip. People spend their lives and their resources and their energy away from the Lord, away from the the scriptures that reveal the Lord, away from the means of grace, and yet somehow they still desire to go to heaven when our Lord is at its very center? How? That's such a contradiction, isn't it? And what the text is teaching us is that this is the reality. This is what you wanted here, and now this is what you shall have there. Bear the weight. Let it sink in. The words themselves, beloved, are weighty. He goes on, he says, accursed ones, accursed ones. Ones that are fitting, what are these accursed ones? They're fitting for the punishment. They're fitting for it. What do you mean fit for it? Well, they've spent their whole lives storing up wrath for the day of judgment. How? Well, by not heeding the commands of the Lord. 
by not following after him, by not walking in his ways, by not seeking to love others as you love yourself. They are fitted for this judgment. It is proper, if you will. This is what is deserved. There's nothing unjust about this. In fact, this is proper. They offer up to our Lord a life that is full of rebellion, full of lust, full of sin, full of this this worldliness that all throughout the word of God and all throughout the ministers of the gospel have called God's people to forsake, to repent of, and to put away. And now it has come harvest time. And this is the very fruit. This is the very harvest of that sinful fruit when our Lord says, depart from me, you accursed ones. But he doesn't stop there. Notice he goes on, he says, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And wasn't even prepared for them. It was not to be. The devil is the original murderer. He is the original prideful and arrogant one. He's the original rebel. And God had prepared a place for that rebel, for that arrogant, prideful angel. He had prepared a place for him and his demons, his angels. And what we are being forced to recognize here is our Lord says, and you shall go to that place prepared for them. The connection is vivid, it's Natural, it's something we can't miss because we are to make that connection that because we have acted like, well, any who act like their father, the devil, will receive the same word as their father. They too shall receive what he receives. That's why Paul, in the preaching of the gospel of the book of Ephesians, what did he say? We were once like our father, the devil. We lived like he did, like he does, in the lusts of our actions and of our minds and of our heart. But praise God that by his sovereign grace, we've been delivered from that family and adopted into a new family, the family of the family of God, the family of saints, righteousness, where righteousness dwells. It's not just the words themselves, beloved. They do their job, don't they? I mean, working through that list of the things that they've omitted in this life. But it's also who says the words. It's not just the words stated, declared, 
pronounced. It's who says the words. Who, who's the one that's going to declare this condemnation? Who is the one revealing to them that they now are to receive their due and just reward, that place that has been reserved for the devil and his angels, that eternal fire, but, uh, not, but none other than our Lord. That the text tells us up in verse 31, he's the son of man, he's the one, he's come in, into this world in the womb of a virgin, born into this world, both God and man in human flesh. The one declared that his name would be Jesus, the one to save his people from their sins. He's the one that says these words. Let that sink in. Bear that weight. This is the one that John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God, the one who comes to take away the sins of the world. This is the one that left that heavenly glory for a time to be, to, to be incarnated in this world and to walk among men in all of the weakness of the flesh in what Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that he had to learn and grow just as any other boy had to learn and grow that he had to endure all of these infirmities of the flesh, and yet our Lord still remained true and faithful to the calling of his Father. He would come and be the sacrifice on behalf of sinners, that by his stripes, Isaiah said, by his stripes, by his punishment, by, by bearing in his own flesh the wrath of Almighty God against sin, that he would be the sin bearer of all who would put their faith and trust in him, all who would love him, all who would seek him. He would bear their sins, and he would endure the wrath of Almighty God so that you won't have to do it here. That those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, those who have had their hearts just changed and have become new creations in Christ Jesus, those that, that bear out this, this love, imperfect, I know, but love of God and truth and the Son of God and the means of grace, these are the ones that will enter into eternity, into his comfortable presence. But all who have rejected that one, will bear the weight of his justice. The text tells us that he's the son of man. He's the king of the nations. The text tells us that this is the one that speaks these words, that this is the one that makes this declaration. And leads us to our third point, on the solemnity and the weight of this text, it's not only what is said, it's not only who says it, but it's the finality of it. It's, that's, it's, that's it. 
It's over. It's punctuated with a period or even an exclamation mark. There's nothing else after this. This, when you go away into this eternal fire, into this place prepared for the devil and his angels, it is for eternity. And there is no end to eternity. Now, beloved, listen to me. Eternity is a long time. There are no second chances when you leave this world. But today is opportunity. There's opportunity today. The solemnity, the weight of this text is, is it presented, presents itself in that that finality of this declaration of this condemnation there's nothing that is going to change Jesus's mind there is nothing that they can now do to make an amends they cannot believe in him now they cannot trust in him now they cannot rest in him now they cannot obey the commandment to come to him because they've been told to depart from him and they will obey that commandment just as those angels of glory assembled the nations before Jesus, those angels will also cause that eviction to happen and they will be thrown into that lake of fire and the glorious angels at the right hand of Christ will see to it. Will see to it. What about the, another point to make here? It's not just what is said. It's not just who says it. It's not just the finality of it. All of those things would be enough in and of themselves, singularly. But even the need of the hour when Jesus is teaching the lesson. All along the way, what, is, what, is, what has our Lord faced? Condemnation, mockery. Repudiation, condemnation. How dare this man cleanse the temple? Who does he think he is? He has just been under assault after assault after assault. In fact, chapter 26 tells us, well, they went away to do what? After hearing these words, what did they do? They couldn't stand it any longer and they went away to plot his death. The need of the hour, beloved, was that Jesus would lay this weight before them, giving them another opportunity to confess their sins and come to him as Lord and Savior, the King of the nations, the Son of Man. That's what you do, right? What we do when, when we... When, what do we deserve when we were young and, and, and living under the roof of our parents and, and we found ourselves being stubborn and wayward and we found ourselves unwilling to listen? Well, there was discipline, correction, 
Love demands that there be correction. Love demands that there be guidance. Love demands that there be a wise application of, of, of teaching and instruction that would amend our ways. And that's what our Lord is doing here. Even in this weighty, sober uh, teaching, what is our Lord doing? He is still calling them. They have not yet closed their eyes. They have not yet taken their last breath. They have still in the, uh, they still are possessing the ability to turn from their sins and embrace Christ and escape from this judgment the manifestation of his justice like we are today still possessing that opportunity letting this teaching sink into our hearts and to our minds sobering us up possibly if we become intoxicated upon this world intoxicated upon our lust intoxicated with all the accolades and all the friendships and all the things that have kept us from Christ that have kept us out of the church that have kept us from serving the church wholeheartedly and faithfully our Lord comes to sober us up and to give us an opportunity to amend that now so that we don't have to hear those horrible words depart from me. Another way that this text is weighty is who Jesus is talking to. Beloved, he's talking to the people of God. He's talking to the visible church. He's talking to the, the, uh, the outward covenant people of God, outwardly, visibly, openly. This is what we have, the church in this world, if you will, just as he is speaking openly and outwardly to the visible church now in the teaching of this part uh, of, of his word. He's now showing us the same things. This is for the people of God. These are the ones who made a profession of faith and yet never possessed him. They just confessed him, but never possessed him. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13. I want to show you how this teaching comports with other parables that our Lord taught, the parable of the wheat and the tares. In verse 24 of chapter 13, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? And he said, no, for, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. 
Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then he explains this parable in verse 36 through 43. Look at verse 41. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears let him hear. This parable presents to us the picture of the visible church. The visible church is a mixed congregation. It is mixed with both true and false believers. Those who really do love Christ and strive imperfectly, but strive to obey, strive to walk with him, strive to serve him to the best of their ability. The others are those that make a profession of faith but never really possess those commandments, those graces. They never really exhibit those graces. And those graces are exhibited in Matthew 25 in the teaching that what Jesus says, what you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. Where he says, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Jesus sums up their lives in what they did not do, not in what they did. It is telling, and I think beneficial, to meditate and ponder why Jesus used the love of the brethren as an identifying mark of true saving faith. Because we certainly love ourselves without question. And that's why the golden rule is to love your neighbor, right? Do unto others as you would have them what? Do unto you. Our Lord Jesus is pointing out the depth and degree of the selfishness of many of God's people, professing people. Yes, they are outwardly members of the church. Yes, they can come to church. Yes, they can tithe. Yes, they can come to the special suppers and breakfasts and prayer meetings and whatnot. But yet they never own or possess the reality of those graces in their hearts because they never care about anyone else who's in need. As I stated before, I shall state again, we are never more like Jesus than when we sacrificially serve others. Remember, our Lord left glory to come to earth. He laid aside that glory he was due that was rightfully his to come and humble himself. To, pos- to take upon himself the human flesh and walk in all of the infirmity of human flesh so that he might what? 
seek and save that which is lost. I guess I'll mention this, though it's not, you know, it's interestingly enough, some Christians get hung up, well, in the heresy that, well, you know, Jesus is God and God cannot die. There's no way he could die on the cross. Beloved, Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Fully man. Without mixture. And he did die on that cross as a man. He felt every stroke of the hammer. He felt every inch of those thorns. He felt every part of the scourging before they crucified him. He felt all of it. He heard the mockery. If he is the son of man, tell him to come down off that cross. He heard that. He was conscious enough during the whole process he could look at the apostle John and his mother and imagine the pain he was in to look down and care enough for his mother to say, mother, your son, pointing to John. John, your mother. What was Jesus doing? He was making sure that his mother was taken care of as he leaves this world. Jesus is our example of good works and social equity not what we see going on in the world today. Our Lord is our example. The scriptures teach us what these things truly are. Beloved, Jesus is talking to the church. Notice that even the text highlights this because even the text says that they call him what? Look at verse uh, Look at verse 44. And then they themselves will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry? They call him Lord. They've called him Lord their whole ministry, the whole time. Oh, Lord, how many times have you said Lord? How many times do I say Lord? How, th- 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 Lord. And that's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, why do, you, why, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? Many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. But they never mean it. They never possess it. They never own it. I've mentioned this, but I want to make a particular point to mention it. And this is our sixth and at least my final point on why this is such a solemn and weighty text. And and that is the association that Jesus 
demonstrates for us or presents to us, and that's the ones found in verse 41. That is, that the uh, that accursed ones um, into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and his angels. The association recognized. You see, brothers and sisters, there are two families in the earth. There's the family of God, and there's the family of the devil. And even when we leave this world, we're going to be identified by that association. I mean, you can come from a hellacious home, terrible home, and have God as your father. I mean, what a message to the abused today. God is your father. And he's calling you in his son, Jesus. You don't have to be associated with this family of debauchery. You don't have to be associated with the devil and his family. You can come to the family of God. You can be adopted. You can be born again. You can be brought into the kingdom of God. You can be robed in white and clean linen. You can be seated, you can be seated at the table of the king of the nations. You may be in poverty here, but you'll be in riches and glory there. That's a fact. Yes, you may be deprived of many good things here, but you will not be deprived of good things there. The things that we long for, the things that we humanly long for and desire and want, joy, happiness, peace, rest. To be pain-free, not just in our bodies, but in our hearts when it's broken because of loss because of, uh, uh, of friendships that go awry or whatever the case may be, all of the hurts, the pains, and all of the things, the aggravations that this life presents to everyone, it will be not that way there. There will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. Our Lord tells the sheep, Enter into that joy. Amen. Amen. I only have two points of application. Two points of application because I don't want to take away from you pondering this. And I guess I want to ask a question first, or at least make one of the points a question, and that is this. Beloved, what are you not doing? What are you not doing? Because this is what our Lord points out. This is what you did not do. He doesn't go over all the things that they did. He says, but you, you didn't, in light of that, but you didn't do these things. What is it, beloved, my brothers and my sisters, what is it that you are not doing? What sins of omission, 
things that we're commanded to do, things that, that, that we ought to do and want to do because it highlights that we truly are the, 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 the children of God, that we truly have been made new creations where we can die to self and serve others, our wives, our husbands, our children, our parents. I mean, I can make so many applications of grandparents, grandchildren. I mean, the way we address, the way we, the way we come to our, our homes and our families, those that are in our personal context and space and, and then work ourselves out of that. But Jesus particularly says, as you've done unto the least of these, have you, you've done to me, to me. That's the motivation because what they would say is, Lord, if I had seen you by the road, I'd have picked you up. If I'd have known you were hungry, I would have given you my own food. I would have taken the clothes off of my own back and given you my own jacket. If I'd have known you were in prison, I would have been there. And what Jesus is saying is you missed it the whole time. All along the way, I taught you that the, the visible church is my body. I'm the head, you're the body. Each, serve, each one serving the other, each one possessing a connectivity to the other. You are the people of God. You are the body of Christ. You didn't listen. You missed it. And it is a big miss. It's, it's substantial. How are we guilty of this? What you did not do to the least of my brethren, you did not do to me. There's so much hate in the world. There's so much hate in the church among families of God, among Christian people, professing Christian people. The Bible clearly teaches us that love worketh by faith. That true, justifying, saving faith works itself out in the bowels of love, in the, in the actions of love, in, in the serving and the going after all of the one another's. What did Jesus tell us? Right before again, after this moment, after they, he ate the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. How you love one another. How you love one another. The methods, the techniques, the working out of something physical and real. Not just saying, be warm, be full, Lord bless you, but working out food, clothing, raiment, visitation, 
What are you not doing? And I guess the other part of it is this, and I guess I want to make a statement, and this, this, is, this is it. It doesn't have to be this way. You, you never have to hear Jesus say, depart from me, you accursed ones. You never have to hear it. Ever. You can escape this. How, pastor? Fleeing to Christ. Putting your trust in the Son of Man, the King of the nations. Resting in His sacrifice upon that cross as sufficient payment for your sins. There's a great exchange that takes place. There's the giving of Christ our sins and he gives to us his righteousness. Amen. I want to show you a couple of passages of scripture and I want to use them to turn to Acts chapter 7. This is the uh, defense of Stephen, uh, that first martyr of the church, if you will, and in verse 51 and 52, I'm just, I want to demonstrate to you why you don't leave this place, beloved. Don't leave here today unless you know where you are, where you stand. And, 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 and this is where I want to I show you what Stephen says in verse 51 of Acts 7. He says, you men, he's talking to the ones that are about to kill him. You know, these, these were church people. These were the covenant people of God. And, and he says, he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And you are, ju you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your father not persecute? You killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one who betrayers and murderers you have now become. Now the point I want to make is verse 51 right there we says always resisting the Holy Spirit. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. You know if the Holy Spirit's calling you this morning you may be thinking man I I got these things I want to give up. I'm not happy. They burden me, I, but I'm scared to. I'm scared I'll lose my friends. Yeah, you possibly could. I've lost mine. When I became a Christian, I had, well, I lost all my friends because none of my friends were, well, they didn't want to serve the Lord. I lost all my buddies. I'm sure many of you did too. There's sacrifices to be made. There's things that happen to us when we profess our love for Christ and we plan to live for him. Yes, things can happen in this world. The world hates that kind of commitment. It hates that kind of person. You have to realize that. You have to embrace that. And you have to realize that on that day, that final day of judgment, you shall be rewarded <laughs> beyond your imagination.
Second Chronicles, turn there with me. But don't, don't resist the Holy Spirit that's calling you this morning to confess your sins and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To not stand before Jesus in your own power and your own works, thinking that you're going to somehow plead your way out of it. It won't work. It's not going to work. You will fail at it. For 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16, I want you to see the compassion of our God here. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Here's my point, beloved. Right now, guess what God in his son is doing? He's extending more compassion, more compassion, more mercy. Come now. Come, die to self, and put your faith in the Son of God. Put your faith in Christ. Confess your sins. No longer, listen, they mocked the prophets, but they were mocking the holy things of God. They mocked the church. They, oh, can you, they mocked the means of grace. Oh, no, no, stop doing that. Listen, hear the compassionate invitation to our Father this morning who says, come to my Son Jesus, and you will be saved. One last verse. It's not needed. I think I've demonstrated the Lord's mercy. Chapter 25, verses 3 and following. I want to break toward the end of that verse, and it says, The word in verse 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, again and again. But you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear, saying, Turn now, everyone, from his evil way and from the evil of your deeds and dwell on the land which the Lord has given to you and your forefathers forever and ever. And do, not, uh, do not go after other gods or serve them and to worship them. And do not provoke me to anger with the work of your own hands, and I will do you no harm. And yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord. In order that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your own hands. Look, look at that last phrase, to your own harm. You know, brothers and sisters, the idea that Lord is just casting people in, in heaven and hell and he's, he's just randomly doing these things is not so. Each one goes off to their own reward. Why would you destroy yourself? Why will you destroy yourself? Why will you not today call upon him who can save you, not only in this world, but in the world to come? Why won't you do it? If there's any hesitation this morning, beloved, listen to these verses. Hear the Lord's compassion. Hear the Lord's mercy. Hear the Lord's invitation. Hear the Lord's love and come to him and do no, no longer exciting his wrath towards you.
Put to death his wrath today by calling upon Jesus, his son. Let's pray. Our heavenly father, bring yourself glory from this text of scripture. Bring a sweetness to all who are here this morning, who all who trust in you, all who rest in you, all who believe in you, Lord, and renew that relationship, renew our obedience, Lord, renew our commitment to you, that we would walk in your ways, that we would seek, Lord, to, to visibly put out the, 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 our faith in the service of others. Lord, if there is any here this morning Lord, I know how imperfect the message, the sermon is. I understand that. But Lord, in, in your power and glory, if there's anyone here this morning that, that, that is holding out, Lord, who thinks that somehow they can escape that just punishment, Lord, move, break their hearts Call them to yourself, Lord. Let them hear your sweet invitation right now this morning to come and put their trust in you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.